Apocalypse Rock. Chapter 54. Bloodbath. Inside the technology hub, Doug was immersed in the reassuring hum of server and crypto miner cooling fans. A constant warm breeze flowed around him as he crept through the darkness. The machines blinked red and green like little stars. The words chanted through his thoughts. Myth. Bomb. Never. Witch. Collapse. Practice. Feed. Shame. Ramses was gone, but ahead Doug could see the central space. Light glowed through the ringed hedge of bushes, succulents, and small palm trees. Some voices murmured out under the drone of the cooling fans. Doug thought he saw movement through the ring of plants. Keeping to the shadows of the server shelves, Doug snuck up behind one particularly thick cluster of bushes. Open. Despair. Creek. Road. Again. Ice. Least. Kingdom. But at least it worked where it needed to. A voice came through the foliage. It was Marcus. Doug crouched, taking care to hold the heavy clump of cylinders in his pocket. He pushed aside a large, veiny leaf. Marcus was sitting at one of the desks, a laptop open in front of her. Strapped to her back was what looked like to Doug a sheathed sword. Shining Wind sat facing Marcus, his back to Doug. Sitting perched on a desktop to the left was Bruno. In the middle, where everyone's attention was focused, the holographic image of Tiberius Organ glowed. As Organ spoke, Doug saw that the three-dimensional rendering of the businessman Guru from the performance had been replaced by a flattened image. A cartoonish thought bubble rose out of Organ's frozen smile. Hey, due to restricted and or reduced bandwidth, I've been replaced by an avatar. I'll be back to life as soon as possible. Sorry. We'll only know for certain after they wake up. Organ replied to Marcus from his frozen smile. Doug thought his voice sounded worried, tired. It's going to be a long night, Bruno sighed. Shining Wind was hunched forward in his chair, head drooped and shoulders stooped as if he was scrolling through his phone. Maybe only another hour until it wears off, Marcus continued. Maybe we can start early. Marcus was holding up something in her palm and peering into it. A dirty green glass cylinder the same as Doug's. Not yet, Organ interrupted. They'll be confused and groggy. The debriefs need to happen after they're completely rested. We all want to get over the finish line, but we can't risk another blubber bay. Well, where is she then? Bruno replied. We've been waiting for an hour now. Government workers are all the same. Organ scoffed. Maybe she's out looking for a dog. Here, boy. Bruno laughed, then patted Shining Wind on the back, making the young man wobble in his chair. This made everyone laugh. Shining Wind stayed motionless apart from the slow rise and fall of his breathing. Heavy footsteps came from behind Doug. He felt his heartbeat increase and his vision narrow. He shoved his lanky body further into the mass of plants around him, then tried to keep as still as possible, like a scarecrow trying to hide in an open field. Someone passed close by to Doug. 
and pushed through the wall of leaves and into the central space. Marcus Bruno and the holographic organ turned. Standing in her muddy hiking boots at the edge of the space was July Straightmore. She has arrived, Bruno greeted July with a theatrical sweep of his arm. We've been waiting in anticipation. Doug tried to shift his angle to see more clearly, but his toe knocked a plant pot, and the clump of cylinders in his pocket produced a tiny but sharp clink. It sounded explosive to Doug, but no one seemed to notice. I was occupied elsewhere, July told the group, her voice lower and flattened in a way that Doug didn't recognize. If there's no majority consciousness inside the next 45 minutes, we need to initiate the waking protocol. The frozen-smiled organ replied. Everyone has to be home before 3 a.m. or else things get messy. I know, replied July. From the reports at the start of the evening, all the tests were conclusive and reproducible, so we're on track. It's a sequence we're worried about now, replied Oregon. We need to have control over the waking time window. We didn't expect such a successful turnout, he chuckled. There's not so much to do around here on the weekends, July sighed. The Golden Years founders all laughed softly. What's with him? July pointed at the hunched figure of Shining Wind. The three founders stopped smiling. We had to help him focus, Bruno replied. He got a bit vague. He was upset about not being told of Mr. Gray's involvement, Organ explained. Mr. Gray will be arriving imminently, and we don't want any embarrassing complications. Maybe we put a little bit too much on Mr. Wynne's plate. But she tried to hide it. A flash of concern crossed July's face, but she quickly returned her attention to the founders. Where is Mr. Gray? July asked. Right here. Standing at the far side of the central space, opposite July, in a cluster of spiky cacti, was Gavin, the school counselor. He wore a black rain jacket over his still muddied gray suit. We've had to implement phase three earlier than anticipated. Water supply and food chain are now active. Gavin stepped over the planter pots. We had to neutralize another local. He was having some kind of episode in the employment kiosk. He attacked one of the animal dancers. But I don't think he knows anything, really, Gavin continued. He responded well to the treatment anyways. But just to be safe, he's been stored in the mindfulness shed together with a couple we caught snooping at Leak Point last night. Out of the darkness, from the ersatz jungle, emerged a dozen lithe figures, armed with large machine guns, the kind that Doug always saw in reports about mass shootings. The mercenaries wore Thai fishermen's trousers and hemp t-shirts with, I'm official, ask me anything stretched over bulging body armor. Though their helmets partially obscured their gaunt and bearded faces, Doug realized that they all looked identical, with uncanny, clone-like similarity to the man who he saw driving Bear's car earlier, Christopher McCandless, a.k.a. Alexander Supertramp. The Supertramps quickly formed a semicircle behind Gavin, facing the Golden Years founders, and July. Doug shuddered when he saw the grey, hulking mass of Constable Sweetland lumber out from behind the plants. Casting his attention about in nervous jerks like a threatened reptile, 
The zombified police officer knocked over a palm tree as he lurched toward Gavin. Sweetland's black eyes were ringed with dark, hollow patches. His mounty uniform was in tatters, torn, covered in mud and blood. Patches of his pale, putrid skin showed through the rips in his clothing. A stream of yellowish, foamy bile dribbled from his mouth. Sweetland took his place behind Gavin, swaying in a stupor. Following Sweetland and the mercenaries, Sharon popped out from the leaves of a large monstera plant. She was still wearing her ridiculously plump, fuzzy red, special guest sweater from the day before. Hiya, Sharon squeaked, giving a smile and a sheepish little wave at the group. She looked as if she hadn't slept for days. July narrowed her eyes. Shining Wind remained hunched and motionless. Why did you initiate phase three? Organ demanded. You know we shouldn't accelerate this. We have no idea what might happen if the seed phrases haven't been implanted properly. A misstep now could be very dangerous. Gavin gave a mirthless smile. Apologies. Orders from above. He snapped his fingers. The soldiers behind him came to attention. Where's the forget-me-bot? The, the controller bot, the, um, you know, what do you call it? The keystone. The thing that controls all the rest of them. Doug could see the Golden Years founders tense up. That is not part of the arrangement. Organ seethed from his frozen smile. That is proprietary knowledge. You know full well that we will not hand it over. Not to anyone. Doug could see Marcus slowly close her hand around the cylinder into a fist, and lower it just out of Gavin's line of sight. You will hand it over, Gavin continued. The mission has changed. There's been too many mistakes now. That was all taken care of. Miss Straightmore successfully swapped out the real one for a replacement. Oh, did she now? Gavin replied sarcastically. Yes, the asset has no idea. That threat is neutralized. Gavin shook his head. You might say so, but then why is the asset nowhere to be found? He's in the sweat lodge with everyone else, Organ replied. Further, it's clearly stipulated in the scope of work and contract that the Keystone remains our property. It was developed for a different project and so will remain with us. Gavin narrowed his eyes. I don't give a fuck about any contract. It's a vendor security issue now and I'm having a hard time extending further trust. The Keystone is in a safe place, I promise, Marcus interjected, clenching her hand in a fist. And how sure are you that it's even the real one? Gavin glanced from Marcus to July and then back to Marcus's hand. It could easily have been replaced itself, and now the slave forget-me-bots are gone. There's just too many mistakes. The slave bot should be in the sweat lodge. We just came from there. They are gone. We need to check the footage. The forget-me bots shorted out the cameras, explained Marcus. There is no footage. Gavin scoffed. I watched Endless Wellness get subcontracted out into a mess of other corporations. But this is too much. It's now compromising my business. And so as ever... I will need to limit damage and prevent any further fraudulent activity. The soldiers behind Gavin raised their weapons. A soft cluster of clicks emanated from the safety catches releasing. 
This is a misunderstanding. I assure you we will recover the missing forget-me-bots and control any compromised assets. I've already made my decision. Now we need to secure the project. Gavin nodded to Sharon, who coyly stepped out of the cacti perimeter and walked toward Marcus. In Sharon's path stood the holographic organ. Sharon stopped when she came to him, looking up at his frozen smile. You're overreacting and making a terrible mistake. You do not have the authority to do this. I have the right to protect my business, Gavin barked, then gestured at Sharon. Go through him. Sharon stepped through the flickering organ. She held her hand out to Marcus, straining to give a weak, apologetic smile. Marcus raised her head and stared out into the ersatz jungle. Doug could have sworn that their eyes met. A faint smile briefly crossed her sharp and delicate features. In one swift motion, Marcus raised her left hand and flicked the glass cylinder into the bushes in Doug's direction. At the same time, her right hand reached over her shoulder and unsheathed her sword. It was the same blade that had just recently featured as a hologram in the tent. In a graceful downward arc, Marcus sliced clean through Sharon's outstretched forearm just below her elbow. The dismembered limb made a wet plop when it hit the ground, its fingers clawing outward. There was a brief moment of shock silence as blood erupted from Sharon's stump, and little pulses sprang all over the front of her sweater, splattering special guest in crimson. The mercenaries opened fire. Bruno was the first to fall. His shoulder exploded. He desperately scrambled on all fours toward the planted perimeter. He dove headfirst into a pile of potted plants. His body jerked in violent spasms from a hail of bullets that eviscerated his torso. Shining Wind remained hunched over, motionless. A bullet disintegrated his ear, spraying blood toward Doug. A piece of its gristle landed on the glossy leaf that Doug was hiding behind. He watched the little lump slowly slide down its waxy surface. In a split second, Marcus closed in on the right side of the mercenaries. In one running sweep from behind, she decapitated three of them. Their helmeted heads hit the floor in rhythmic succession, each making a hollow thump. Marcus kept her grisly momentum toward the next trio of mercenaries, simultaneously crouching and pivoting. Sword held in both hands, she disemboweled them, their guts spilling onto the floor. Marcus stopped and faced Gavin. She raised her sword up in a defensive position with the exact symmetry that Doug had seen before, in the tent, in the paintings. Sweetland lurched in between her and Gavin. He let out a muted and nasal bellow, like a tortured wail, then ran headfirst at Marcus, arms whirling about stupidly in a windmill fashion. Marcus lunged inward and brought the blade down across Sweetland's face, carving through his left eye, across the bridge of his nose, and into his right cheek. Sweetland's fist clomped Marcus with a powerful uppercut, sending her flying backward. Like an acrobatic routine, Marcus gracefully turned her backward flight into a reverse somersault, then landed beside a clump of luscious bushes and palm trees. It had taken less than five seconds. She had eliminated half of Gavin's mercenaries. Gavin retreated behind the jungle perimeter as the remaining mercenaries gave cover. 
They raised their weapons and opened fire on Marcus. It was like her body was being pummeled with invisible jackhammers. Her sword shattered from several bursts, a piece snapping off and flying into her eye. Whatever ammunition the mercenaries were using, it effectively tore Marcus to shreds, ripping off chunks of flesh. Her right elbow exploded and sent her forearm spinning off behind her. The top of her head turned into a wet puff of pink mist. Bloody bone and exposed muscles went flying. When the squad had finished, Marcus was a heap of gore on the pebbly ground, slopped over the succulents around her. Sweetland was howling, his opened face gushing blood. He lurched toward July, who was standing over Sharon and her dismembered forearm. A stray explosive round must have hit Sharon and caused her fuzzy sweater to catch fire. July was trying to slap out the growing flames. She looked up when she heard Sweetland's plodding footsteps approach. There was growling, a scrape of claws on the hardwood floor, and then a fearsome bark. A black shadow flew over Doug, over the cacti between July, and landed on top of the mutilated Mountie. It was Ramsey's. He bit into Sweetland's face over and over. Sweetland's screams might have filled the vast space, had Ramsay's rapid gnawing not muffled them into wet gurgles. Sweetland, who managed to stay standing even with a great dane latched onto his torso, staggered around the central area like a strange, mythic hybrid beast, gurgling in pain. Stop! July shouted. Ramsay's! Enough! Down, boy! There was a whine, then claws back on the hard floor. Sweetland stumbled into the foliage, rejoining Gavin and his mercenaries. At the same time, on the opposite end of the central space, July had abandoned Sharon's limp body, the flames of her fuzzy sweater having erupted into a raging fireball. Together, Ramses and July escaped into the bushes. Ice. Least. Kingdom. Moon. Regret. Ancient. Hungry. Refuse. Doug's ears were ringing from the gunfire, but the chanting voices continued loud and clear through his thoughts. Out in the central space, Doug saw the holographic Tiberius organ glowing and still, as if no longer inhabited by its owner. Next to organ, Bruno lay face down, mutilated corpse twitching. What had been Marcus was piled to the other side of organ's avatar. Shining Wind was still hunched in his chair, blood dripping down from the mess of his former ear. The slow rise and fall of his breathing stayed constant. Across the space, growing pools of blood spread around the guts of Gavin's felled mercenaries. Witness. Dolphin. Myth. Bomb. In front of Doug, gleaming in the moist soil under a verdant monstera plant, was the glass cylinder that Marcus had thrown toward him. Etched across its tiny equator was the flawlessly sharp and straight line. Inscribed on either side of that was the cuneiform script that had been on the original glass cylinder Doug had found several days previous. Never. Witch. Collapse. Practice. Doug whispered the words that chanted through his brain. The tiny cylinder, ancient and modern, pulsed from the soil with a dim and dirty green light at each word. Strangely, the pulsations comforted Doug. Organ's voice shouted out through the air. 
If the seed phrases are misapplied, then we lose everything. And that's your loss too, Mr. Gray. It's too late, Gavin shouted from behind a bush. Your actions force us to begin asset liquidation. Above Doug, the roof of the structure rippled violently in the wind. As Gavin and Organ shouted back and forth, Doug reached out and clutched the tiny glass cylinder in the grimy folds of his bandaged hand. Its burning cold surface hit a nerve and Doug bit into the sides of his cheeks, into his tongue. The clump of bronze cylinders abruptly tore through the fabric of his jacket. Like a swarm of predatory insects, they lunged around Doug's closed fist, covering it like bees on a hive. Slowly, they compressed inward around his hand, crushing the bones and flesh over the green cylinder inside. The cold of the cylinder burned like he was holding a piece of dry ice without gloves. Blood filled his mouth. Tears welled up. He swallowed his screams. Doug forced himself up, slumping out of the ring of plants and into the starry darkness of the server rose. His hand weighed down with a magnetized clump of cylinders. Open. Despair. Creek. Road. A wave of dizziness hit him. He steadied himself against a shelf. Blood dribbled from his mouth and down his front, dripping onto the floor. All the server lights abruptly stopped blinking and turned a solid red. July looked at Doug from across the row, motionless in the red light. Ramses was curled around her feet, looking at Doug inquisitively. Again. Ice. Least. Kingdom. Some shouts and moans came from the central space. July leaned in, then smiled. Ducky, you're high as a kite. All that crap Hubble prescribed actually worked. She chuckled and shook her head. He's fucking incompetent, but at least he got this right. I'm really happy to see you, Ducky. Moon. Regret. Ancient. Hungry. Doug blinked vacantly at the glowing red July in front of him. He tried to lift his clumped hand, but it was too heavy. I'm so sorry you got mixed up in this. It wasn't my intention at all. Doug was about to say something, but July jerked her finger up to her lips. She leaned in closer, her nose almost touching his. Mr. Gray is a psychopath. He'll kill everyone. I need to stop him. And there's only one way to do that. I'm afraid to say it's not going to get much better for you. At least for now. But stay brave. Stay strong. I'll make sure Dora and Irene are safe. And I'll get you back to them as soon as possible. Doug opened his mouth. But July hushed him again. You're not crazy, Ducky. Words are just part of it. The important thing is to get up to Arbiter's perch now. July motioned to the clump of cylinders. He'll help you. Just do what he says. He's waiting for you up there. Myth. Bomb. Never. Witch. I don't understand. Doug had started crying. 
July's face softened. Don't worry, Dougie. You don't need to understand. Like I said, it's not about the words. It's how you put them. Ice. Least. Kingdom. Moon. Regret. Ancient. Hungry. Refuse. A scream was followed by a rapid blast of gunfire. Whoever might have been left alive out there previously was now likely another pile of gore. Doug crouched and put his face into his hands, panic freezing him up. July yanked at him. He could smell Ramsey's warm dog breath. July pulled Doug's hands from his face and shook him angrily. She motioned toward the exit, then pointed up in the direction of Arbiter's perch. Go! Now! Do what he says! apocalypserock.xyz. Please rate and review this story wherever you may have found it, and share with any friends who you think might like it. Thanks for listening.